Hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Goat Farm. With me, as always, is Ross. Say hello, Ross. Hello. How's it so, going? It's going well. Uh, just back from a run in a very, very humid Columbus. But it's nice because the weather's starting to turn, and it's actually been quite mild. And so it's been good. Yeah. Been at home, oddly enough. How about yourself? Been out on the road? I have a um, couple of weeks ago, I, I did a trip um, out to Portland. So Gene Kim actually hosts an event out there called the DevOps Enterprise Forum. And it's basically a, a small group of people he invites out. It's a kind of a mix, about half people from, from enterprises and half people from like the vendor community. And basically, they take kind of the, the concerns that the community has uh, that are, that are kind of, they analyze it coming out of the DevOps Enterprise Summit in the fall, come up with themes that, that the need, we need more guidance on in the community, especially related to enterprises, and then we kind of form working teams that and we, we kind of start the working team uh, at the forum, and then everyone kind of stays together and works through it up until the conference in the fall. Uh, so this was the second year. It was pretty interesting uh, that there was four four themes that that emerged from the DevOps Enterprise Summit last fall. Three of them I feel a lot of passion for and have a lot of background in, so it's hard to choose which one to be involved in. Um, the fourth one I, I like as well, but uh, I probably don't have as much background in that, and that's uh, security and DevOps, basically. Right. But I'm excited to take the outcome of that and apply it in our company because I, I think the path around is really interesting. The other tracks were technology practices, uh, organizational design, and the other three tracks were technology practices, organizational design, and leading change. And so I was part of the leading change track. And it was interesting that the focus we're taking on that track is basically creating a white paper from the perspective, giving guidance from the perspective of the reader of that paper is someone trying to drive change from within their organization. And we're writing it from three different scenarios. They're, they are trying to influence a senior executive, middle management, or engineers. And so basically the way we're approaching it is kind of defining how each of those groups or audiences, each of those personas, how they think about the world, what their constraints are, if they're, if they're in an enterprise going through a transformation, what's important to them, and then give guidance on how they can, tactics and approaches that, that you can use to drive change with those groups. So okay. you mentioned the uh, security and DevOps. Uh, so did they have, was that gonna go down the path of having DevSecNet, QA, Gov, HR, uh, Finance, Ops? No, we didn't. We actually didn't talk about that at all. Oh, okay. There was a there was a really good group there. They had a mix of some like deep CI CD guys and some deep security guys. It was a really good like cross functional. Yeah. See, group. now that's that would be pretty interesting to see how those practices can actually be applied. Uh, but yeah, I was basically. actually making reference to Nathan Harvey and Nathan Harvey oh. put together a talk, which we'll include in the show notes because it was pretty funny. Uh, about how you know everybody wants to squash in a new thing with uh, DevOps, with yep. Dev and Ops, and put them together. However, to make a new branch or practice. Yeah, uh, of course we we've talked about this in the past uh, mm -hmm. on the show, and I guess it's one of my things because I don't like to call it enterprise DevOps. I like to call it DevOps in the enterprise, uh, <laughs> which is basically kind of turning the problem on its head. 
Uh, but Nathan included a good thing. And but what I find interesting, what you were talking about, going back to your Portland thing, jokes aside, mm-hmm. um, what I found pretty interesting uh, as you were kind of talking about it and describing it uh, and something that you've get, always said to me when you talk about this outside of the show uh, is how you're talking about building a community and how it's a very good community. That's so super interesting. Um, of course, Chef, the company I work for, has done a really good job of building a community around mm-hmm. its product around its software, around its open source. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting to see those same communities start getting to, to be grown at that higher level as well, right? That's been one of the most fun parts about being involved in this whole DevOps movement is just the community that built around it and the connections you start to, to make, uh, not only locally, and we'll, we'll announce our local guest here soon. He's actually a, a fellow Minnesotan and uh, really, really strong in our local community, but even nationally in the community that we built there as well. Uh, one thing I wanted to close on that I thought was probably the most interesting point from that, that trip and the, the group I was on is when we were, when we were defining the role of like executives versus middle management versus engineers and what they care about. Most of the people just to set the context that that were there are, are like middle management in their companies, their directors or VPs. And it was really easy for us to define the engineers and the senior executives. We struggled with middle management, struggled to define what they care about, what their challenges are. And the irony in it all is we were all middle management. And it was, it was just, it was an interesting thing that we observed as we were going through it is it was, it was probably the most difficult part for us to work through. Uh, and it also tends to be one of the more difficult challenges to kind of pivot that level within an organization as well. Yeah. So, uh, super interesting. Uh, I saw a, a vendor and I, I forget the name of the vendor, but they were actually doing a session for, uh, legal and DevOps, right. And kind of uh, a webinar around, how do you talk about this to get permission to contribute to open source, how to put your stuff out there and like kind of the legalese around it and kind of understanding how enterprises can contribute and how they can also open source their stuff. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that's being another tact of it. Uh, of we have legal issues sometimes ourselves, uh, just putting on the show and talking to enterprises and a lot of the episodes have to be approved by legal. Uh, so that's just another way of that community at that layer, like having to go through these things of open source community. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the two outcomes that comes out of this uh, form? Yeah, basically there will be a, a white paper formed for each of those, those subtopics and it'll be uh, completed in time for the DevOps Enterprise Summit this fall. Uh, and and the communication around it will really kind of start there and we'll share out both with the, the people at the conference and then it'll be kind of available for the broader community to consume around that time too. That's super cool. So why don't we introduce our guests? So him being a fellow Minnesotian to you, did I say that right? Minnesotian? Minnesotian. Minnesotian. <laughs> uh, something like that, right? Minnesotan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Minnesotan. <laughs> I'm, I'm an Alaskan originally, so I don't, I don't know that I have the full accent. But. Oh, okay. Uh, we don't need you to break into that right now, but maybe a little bit later. <laughs> You're supposed to say, yeah, betcha. <laughs> betcha. Oofta. <laughs> so why don't you introduce him since he's local to uh, you, Ross? All right. I'd love to introduce him. So our guest today is Andy Domeyer. 
and he's a director of technology operations at SPS Commerce, which is a, a firm that was a startup and has grown, grown quite large in Minnesota. And I'll let him talk about that here in a minute. One thing that's, uh, you know, I think we've both gotten connected to Andy over, over the last few years just because of his presence in the DevOps community. He's super active in the Minneapolis DevOps community. We see each other at a lot of local events, a lot of local meetups. Um, I think he's been pretty involved with some of the DevOps Days events here, and it's been uh, really cool to just collaborate and and share with him over time. He's he's even been like you, Ducey, has been a an external speaker at one of the internal Target DevOps Days. So yes, he uh, has. I remember that. Yeah, uh, so he's giving back to us in that regard. Yeah, that's good. And I I also met Andy through the DevOps community in Minneapolis um, through the meetups and and several other events. And of course, he was one of the co organizers on that event in uh, Minneapolis in 2014, the DevOps Days event. And SBS was kind enough to also donate space uh, to do the uh, evening event there. So thank you for that, Andy. I don't know if I ever thought, thanked you properly. I guess we thanked you with the uh, kegs of beer we left in your office. <laughs> that, the kegs of beer was a spectacular, uh, spectacular leftover gift. Thanks for that. It was fun to find a reason to get rid of those the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's Minnesotan, don't you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. He's, be, he's actually better at it than I am. <laughs> so, Andy, uh, so what do you do at SPS? And tell us a little bit about your job. Sure. So I'm a director within technology operations at SPS. My primary focus is around system health and availability, uh, as well as reliability engineering. So my team is primarily made up of uh, level one and level two resources that focus on um, basically incident response. And then we do a lot in between there, trying to focus on various monitoring uh, projects and anything that we view as something that can help move the needle in terms of system stability or reliability. So it's been uh, uh, the focus. The focus around our systems, as our systems have grown over time, has been a pretty exciting journey, to say the least. So, in uh, traditional parlance, would this be like the ESM group? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of folks will call it a knock. Okay, uh, the knock. Okay, good. Yeah, so, then, uh, sorry for ESM Enterprise Systems Monitoring. Sure, um, sure. And then and then dating we, yourself, Juicy. Yeah, <laughs> but those things still exist in enterprises. Yeah, we're they, <laughs> we're we're slowly expanding that into some additional engineering practices around reliability engineering and performance engineering. So those are both concepts that are pretty fresh in terms of having their own focus within our organization, but they're, they're fitting in really well and they're, they're making some really great progress to, to have that type of focus within their organization. It's been great. Cool. Talk so about more of a, more of a Google like uh, SRE type organization or not that far on the spectrum. Yeah, it, it really, it really spawned out of, uh, out of the desire to, have some folks focused at a higher level of around system resilience and incident response and recovery. And it's really, it's really evolved into something that we think is going to be pretty productive in terms of helping give a different perspective on how we might be able to build technologies in a way that provides resiliency, whether it's with different platform tools or various automation patterns or things like that. It really, it's along the lines of the things that, you don't really understand as an organization until you're running a lot of it. And then the first folks that really realize and see what those patterns are doing in production would be my team. So 
it's, it helps us give uh, give some more appropriate and technical feedback back to the organization around where we're going with our tech, uh, as well as trying to just articulate some of the challenges we have operating it. So this doesn't sound very enterprising. So, um, so give me a little bit about um, kind of how this journey started and how you got into this uh, type of more SRE type role. Yeah, so that, that might be just a, a good entry into SPS as a business as a whole. So uh, I started at SPS Commerce in 2005, and I, I don't know the exact number. It was somewhere around the 85th employee, and we're at 1,200 now. Uh, we've gone public over the course of that time, and pretty consistently every year, year over year, has been 20 to 30% growth. It's a great business model. It, it presents a really interesting technical problem. Uh, and over the course of that time, you know, obviously our technology team is more than double what the entire company was when I started. So there's been a lot of interesting challenges as a result of growth that has really intermingled with our DevOps journey and, and how we drive the right culture there. So it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting layer of complication that I find, I find really interesting having some of those, more in-depth conversations with Ross on some of the challenges he has and how they got there because we've gotten to some of the same problems from such a different perspective. It's really interesting to hear that you can come back to the same practices or the same, the same ideals around DevOps and they apply to both situations, even though you got into that spot from a completely different way. Right. Yeah. That, that is, that is super interesting. And I think that going back to kind of the, the, uh, conversation we had a few minutes ago around enterprise DevOps and things like that. That's why I just think it's like the patterns and practices apply, right? Uh, right. Whether if you're a startup or whether if you are a large enterprise, right? Yeah. It becomes a scaling problem versus do the patterns and practices actually work? Absolutely. And the scaling problem is that that's such a great way to put it, Ducey, because you have this situation in organizations where you have to apply the pattern completely differently based on the talent you have, based on the, your organizational structure, based on, you know, we talk about reliability engineers as an example. We, we have two reliability engineers. And from a performance engineering practice, we have an opening coming soon. Right? So <laughs> a lot of these things aren't, aren't as necessarily as defined as you'd expect to see in, a, in an enterprise that's been of a specific size for a period of time. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's, there's a scaling problem, obviously, depending on, on different factors that a company has. But I think, I think Andy touched on this. It's, I think a lot of like a DevOps transformation is understanding the constraints that you have in your company and then understanding how to apply the practices and tune the culture appropriately to address those constraints. And there's like a lot of tools in the toolbox that are pretty common that we can all apply, but it's, it's almost like tuning which ones you use for which scenarios and understanding the constraints in your company to kind of get it right. Everyone we talk to, it's like there's a lot of consistency in the types of things that people are doing, but there's nuances that it feels like they really need to emphasize for their own company based on like where they're at. Well, it's not only where you're at, but it's also where you're at culturally as well, right? right? Mm -hmm. And that drives political behavior in offices Right. I mean, yeah. the politics in London are much different than the politics in New York than they are in um, Minnesota than they are in Ohio or Chicago. Right. Uh, 
that's one of the super interesting things that I've learned uh, and taking that back of how you apply this change. You have to figure out the motivation for the people. <clears throat> I've tried to have conversations about DevOps to some old organiz like enterprise organizations in um, the Netherlands, for instance. And um, it's just the, the way the political dynamic works from an interpersonal office politics relationship is so totally different, right? Mm -hmm. so. Just haven't talked to ING. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so ING is, is a very interesting one, but then I think they've, they've definitely tried to make it extremely approachable to the cultural specific aspects mm -hmm. that they encounter. So Andy, back, back to SPS, what, so what role has DevOps played in your culture then? And how has you seen, how have you seen it change since the business has grown? Uh, it, it's been really critical on a lot of fronts uh, as, as the, I think one of the things that I give our CTO a lot of credit for is really thinking through how Conway's law has applied to our organization as we grow. So that idea that your communication structures are really going to start to reflect your organizational structures and a lot of times influence your architecture. And so uh, we started like any, like anyone back in 2005, monolithic architectures were awesome. So we, we loved it up and we built some, some pretty big stuff there. Right. And uh, then you only needed one ops team too, right? You only needed the mainframe team. Well, yeah. Right. So well, that I was super easy thing. back in the day. Oh, well, you can build monoliths on, on other platforms too. <laughs> All the data is just in one place too. See, it's so simple. Right. What could go wrong? Right. So we've, we've done a really great job the last couple of years of really refocusing our development groups in an agile methodology and their velocity has increased, which obviously puts a lot of additional pressure on an operations team who's trying to support uh, architectural changes, operational challenges that go along with that, and then an increased velocity and change that comes from those things. So it was one of those stories where you just, you don't really have a choice. The, the steamroller is coming and you, you got to do something about it. So I think, I think we responded really well and we've, we've iterated through some phases at SPS where worked really hard to get aligned on, on business objectives and that helped the teams work together towards a common goal. But we didn't, uh, out of the gate, I don't think we really solved them as collaboratively as we could. Uh, over time, we started being more intelligent around automation and finding ways to make the operations seem more efficient so that change didn't have to be so painful. And now we've gotten to a point where the operations teams are, we're doing more to try to be a service as opposed to um, a component of service delivery. So our agile teams right now are, are, are getting some great velocity. And when we look at what it is, what we try to do is we look at what they need to do to deliver a service and working our way towards that concept of two pizza teams or service delivery team models. So try to get into a situation where we can be a bit more agile with our infrastructure and our architecture. It, it presents some interesting situations where operations either has to be ready to deliver on changes as they're ready or provide platforms and services that allow those teams to execute on that on their own. And so we're starting down that journey now of really having a more effective deployment pipeline is something that counterpart of mine in a technology team is driving and it's going really well. Um, having various uh, application orchestration platforms like Mesos and Marathon in place 
to help provide better framework. And then one of the things that I'm uh, a bit more of a geek about and my team is focused on a ton is monitoring. So how to make sure that we have all the monitoring patterns that just apply. So if people are building new services or have to go think about new technology, they don't have to think as much about how to monitor that because we can reuse those patterns and apply them automatically based on the technology they're rolling out. So, so monitoring as a service or basically the, the APIs that you need to make yeah, that Exactly. Yep. yep. So a lot of it's just been, like the growth demand has forced us to really solve those technology problems or, or it would just be a really uh, unbearable environment. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's kind of interesting uh, that you brought up something that I've actually kind of talked about before in the past and that, I, and that I've heard talked about is this dynamic of um, when the development team shifts to moving to be more agile, it creates a burden on uh, the ops team. And if you're not thinking of things systematically uh, uh, as a whole and how that flow of things go from dev to operations Basically, what you have is all this work that's just piling up in operations, and they can't deliver on it. Uh, and kind of your way of solving that two different ways, I haven't heard it described that way, so that's actually a pretty interesting um, uh, concept there. And also how it applies to Conway's Law, because I think sometimes when we talk about Conway's Law, I don't think we look at the um, architecture of the entire organization. Right? We might look at it from an architecture of the application type perspective, but it needs to be taken all the way into operations and how things are actually delivered. And like you think of how traditional uh, organizations are set up with a networking team, an engineering team, a storage team, a server team, a data center team, and how you just, even inside of operations, you have silos, let alone uh, between dev and ops. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, I, I think that the part you talked about where you go into the, that situation where the development team's velocity is increasing and you have the situation where, where work can pile up. I know that that's been an interesting conversation to hear Heather and Ross touch on some of those items too, but that's such a dangerous, that's such a dangerous state to be in for enterprise sized companies because you have such segregated focus and suddenly you have this, these development teams who are all excited and have some morale boosts and they're driving all these things and they're increasing their velocity and this operations team that just feels like the pile's getting bigger. And as everybody knows, the longer changes should on, sit on the shelf, the less likely they are to work. It's just pretty and stuff. Right. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, so it, it, it creates animosity between the teams and as a result, because you have one team that's being praised for being, you know, increasing their productivity and the other one just feels like the pile is getting bigger. That was, that was a very, I think we handled it very well, but it was, it was a challenge for us for a while to make sure the operations team uh, felt excited about the fact that the change was coming fast and furious for the better. Uh, and it did require some, you know, there's quality ch challenges along with that where we're not collaborating back into the development organization. You, live with quality challenges if the feedback loop's not there, so. Just just wait until the uh, traditional op team, ops teams do uh, serverless. We, uh, <laughs> we, we're starting that. It's super fun. What are you doing there? So uh, a couple things that we have going on right now. There are some services in the development pipeline at SPS using AWS Lambda that uh, they've had just really good velocity. It's been really impressive to watch some of those projects go. 
but it does create this this really odd deployment pattern and it makes you you could still apply the same logic, right? You have a development environment, a test environment, you may roll it out to stage, you have automated tests for all of that before it goes to production. But but it's just a it's a slightly different workflow and there's different things to worry about. But we've seen really good velocity out of those. And then as we started doing that, a reliability engineer on my team and I were looking at that situation or what they were doing there. And we said, you know, there are things that are happening within our, our environment. There are events that we know about and we know what type of action we want to take on them. And so we started with a really simple project of just taking uh, event, uh, events around hosts, hosts within AWS. So uh, going to termination or going to shutdown or moving to the running state, those types of events. And said, if we use those events to trigger Lambda, we could really intelligently tell the various monitoring tools that we use that this host exists and what it is. We, we've done a really good job of leveraging the tags within AWS services so that we, are, we know what that host is and that allows us to apply different monitors to it, organize it well, maintain a, a really good awareness over system health and service health for that, for that service. And we'd been having the situation where at deploy time, people were registering with monitoring. So they would use Chef Ransible to say, I need to register myself in the within the monitoring uh, stack. But then what happens if that API is unavailable? Are you, are you still going to build? And then what happens to your service when it's no longer uh, monitored, but it's up and running? So we started, we started looking at Lambda, and within a couple of days, we had a working operational automation within Lambda that was really valuable. And you know, we didn't know Python really well, but I was just really impressed. And it wasn't perfect. I mean, we have to iterate on it a couple of times to really get it to where we want to. But from zero to having something automated all the way up into our production environment that we felt good about and could iterate on within a couple of days was just, it was really impressive to me. That velocity is awesome. Yeah, yeah it's super interesting also from, so and your story is interesting in that you saw what a dev team was doing and understanding how you needed to support them operationally. Uh, but then also you saw and looked into the tool and how you could use that tool to make your operations run better, right? Uh, which I, I think is a super interesting kind of learning cycle that you just talked about of, of trying to build that culture of continuous improvement. And as you think about how you have to move faster for the development teams, you're discovering things about how you can move faster for yourself as well and make essentially, you know, the, the challenge that you just described is when a system comes up, you need to register it in the traditional challenges that an enterprise would talk about is you need to register it in the ITSM CMDB, right? Um, well, like Amazon, if you're all in Amazon, that's your system of record. All that data is there, right? And so your CMDB and knowledge about your environment is there. And it's interesting when you start to apply come into some of these new development paradigms and how you're going to apply them to actually running your operations. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a, it, we're currently our architecture, we're, we're somewhat hybrid. We have a decent amount of uh, processing within a colo still. And so it's just one of those situations. We've been, we've been moving towards AWS for a while now, but it's one of those situations where it's, it just makes you more excited to go faster. Um, but we've, go ahead, Ross. <laughs> no, I was going to let you finish. Sorry. Oh. 
Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, that comes with high, being hybrid and taking on some of those, those moves comes with their own challenges too. How are you, uh, as you're moving to more of a, a cloud architecture, so moving more stuff to AWS, you also spoke about Mesos Marathon a little bit earlier. How are you, how is your organization dealing with um, getting resilience into the application itself? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. And it's honestly something we, until we started recently doing it well, I didn't realize that we were doing it poorly. And uh, about, a, it was less than a year ago now, uh, one of my reliability engineers went to Monodorama, hallway track talk with Twitter, and they were, they were chatting about the Mesos platform. And so he brought the idea back and, and started tinkering with it and with, it, with very little uh, effort, had some of our transaction processing applications up and running. And what we started to realize was that if we move to an application orchestration framework or a platform like a Mesos and Marathon package, it, it provides a, a, a layer between you and the systems in a way that you can start looking at your compute a little more generically. And so I can worry less about whether the compute resources I'm using are in a colo or if they're in AWS which is great for me running operations and needing to scale elastically. So uh, we process a lot of supply chain data for retail. And as you can imagine in the fall, especially that first week in December, when a lot of the direct to consumer orders get cut, there's a lot of volume, a significant increase in volume in our systems. And so to be able to extend into AWS and leverage the elastic capacity there, instead of trying to rack and stack and be ready for uh, the busy season and then let that hardware sit idle for nine months out of the year is, is just really a bad state to be in for everything. So um, we made some, made some investments and started working more with that, started collaborating across a couple different teams within technology operations, and, and it solved a lot of problems really quickly. It is, it is definitely, that project is definitely uh, in a state where there's a great deal of value add, but there's a lot more we can do with it. But we have to be in a situation, you know, organizationally to manage that really effectively and collaborate on it as a team. And so that's, that's where we are right now. There's a lot of potential with the platform. We're using it really well today, but there is so much opportunity for us to more effectively leverage our deployment and orchestration pattern with tools like that. Um, and I think we just running, running on any kind of a platform for the last eight months, I think we started all, all started to better understand what that really means and how that affects us. So it was definitely a space I heard, heard about, but really didn't fully understand what that text, what that tech space was solving for companies until I realized that we had the problem and, and we're fixing it. Interesting. And how did you uh, land on, on that versus like a Kubernetes? I know there's been a lot of, chatter in the community between Mesos and Kubernetes as, as a platform like that. Yeah. Well, and even like, like cloud foundry and spring too, there, there's some really great platform technologies out there right now. And really where we're at, I would say we're definitely in our infancy still in terms of really effectively leveraging a platform, but what brought Mesos and marathon um, into the fold as something that we could roll out with right away was, was the way that our applications are, are architected. We have a, pretty large number of standalone Java apps, and we need to run a large, a large number of instances of them. And 
Kuber, the Kubernetes framework, when we looked at it, is really a lot more focused on being containerized. So the Mesos platform let us worry about the container problem later and still leverage application orchestration within a technology that could allow us to evolve into containers. I think that it definitely internally at SPS, we're, we're keeping an open mind. I don't think that we're necessarily set or sold on any specific tech. It's just that this one really solved an immediate need for us. And we've had really great success with it so far. So it's, it's hard to argue that you know, you, you're gonna invest time to actively search around and, and test other ones out, but you certainly have new technology problems as you scale and things like that. So I think we'll learn more as we keep using it more and it's, it's just been an interesting learning experience so far there. Very cool. Sounds like it'll be a good uh, DevOps local meetup discussion in the near future. Yep, I think, I think it's definitely worth chatting more about. Cool. So, um, so you're definitely on the, on the, I would say, cutting edge. It's probably not bleeding edge anymore, uh, at least in the work that you're doing. Sorry, maybe you are bleeding edge. No, we're cutting. Okay. I don't want to bleed. <laughs> um, so what challenges have you had as you've tried to bring this newer technology into these tradi traditional platform type teams? I mean, um, it can't all be a bed of roses, or maybe it is, and everyone should go work at SPS. Well, everyone should come work at SPS. Right, Ross? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Wait, are, did you just recruit Ross? <laughs> <laughs> they are local. Yeah, that's you know, something to think about. You've said that like four times now, Ross. <laughs> yeah, plugging our local community. I think this is the first uh, Minnesotan company that we've had on since Target, I believe. And as, Deuce, as Deucey referenced, kegs of beer do randomly show up in our office space. It's not unheard of. So there's perks to the job. <laughs> so back to the question. So um, how have you been able to adopt this new technology and how widespread has it been and, and what are the challenges you've had? Yeah, you know, I think that that's, that's a really great question, Juicy, that I didn't, I didn't think at all about, but uh, it's really important to talk through it. I, I think others that's, can learn. From, that's why I run the show. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so we, others, others can probably learn from our journey here. If you're not doing platform or application orchestration, we, it came from a need. Right, so operationally, there was a lot of pain. There, there's a group within the organization that's really focused on what I would just call application operations, to be somewhat generic, in in the in managing the state of all these transaction systems and making sure that the data processing gets to where it needs to go, and the health and the state of that's okay, and the deployment of those apps, and that that development velocity. And preparing to have some elasticity in our scaling really created some serious challenges for that team. And so the need really drove that platform and the demand for it. It was a very, it was your very stereotypical, we need a solution, we need it now. And we started vetting out the solution and it works so well that it grew really fast. Now that has actually also created some uh, really challenging internal friction within the organization because it is a really interesting tech stack and it is going to solve a lot of great problems, but the organization's all really busy. Like we don't have a, a we don't have a platform engineering team. We don't have uh, a set of engineers that can just pick up a platform engineering practice right now. And so trying to bring this technology decision that 
that had a very specific use case but grew fast and making all the engineers in the in the team really comfortable with how we got to where we are help everyone understand that these aren't necessarily decisions we need to be married to long term but they solve problems and now we really want to make sure that we open this up and collaborate and get everything we can out of it uh, it creates some really good and and helpful conversations but they're challenging because now you have you have to introduce a lot of these new engineers to this technology and and you know how did how do they adopt it how do they use it how does everybody collaborate on a platform of that size when you haven't really ironed out you know the conway's law applies totally you haven't really ironed out how you contribute on it just like how would you you know who gets to write who gets to write cookbooks yeah how do you how do you retool the entire organization Right, right. And then maintain and support that and help everybody understand that in a way that they feel comfortable taking advantage of that tech. So we're, we're definitely at that stage as an organization. I think the, the leadership, um, uh, my counterpart in technology and engineering, for example, and I are, are continuing to try to work through how we, how we get that more effectively adopted and what we really do to continue caring for that platform in a way that's going to give it longevity and some sense of ownership. So we don't we don't have all the answers to where we're going to land there yet. I, I just know that we we need platform strategies, seeing what they do for a company, especially one that has the orchestration challenges we have, and uh, um, we have the culture that I'm confident that we'll be able to collaborate and solve that. But it has been awkward. I think is a good word for it. I have a dojo if you need to use that. To- <laughs> Trap learning. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm, I'd, I'd fear. I'd fear there'd be recruiting pressure if we came up to target dojo, Ross. <laughs> I noticed. Uh, and we'll probably have to edit this point out. But I noticed yeah. while I'm drinking whiskey, Deucey's drinking water. <laughs> I'm drinking. Uh, I was drinking uh, Jade tea. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> And I've noticed my, my mouth is getting drier and drier for yeah. every question. <laughs> uh, so Andy, um, it's been, been great having you on. Um, so if you can leave the listeners with one piece of advice uh, as they try to adopt that new technology platform, that's really kind of required to move into a high velocity type organization, right? A DevOps type organization. Uh, what would it be? I, I would really stress to, to make sure you take the time to think about your communication structures and how some of the technology decisions you can make are going to impact the various organizations for better or for worse, making sure that, you know, if you're going to bring in a platform and a tool that's going to help you increase your agility and resiliency in the system and also increase you deploy fat, help you deploy faster, it's still a technology and a service you have to treat like a service and manage. And so you really have to think through who that all impacts and make sure that, that those teams know some of the challenges you're trying to solve and, and have some input on where they want to go. Cool. So Ross, where are you going to be coming up? Any conferences anywhere uh, people can get a hold of you? I'll be at the uh, Minneapolis DevOps days. So. Uh, if you're in, if you're in town, love to hang out and see see you there. I'm sure Andy will be there as well. And that's going to be in July. It is. That is, right? that is July. You'd think as an organizer, I'd have that date just off the top of my head. But Come on, <laughs> Bridget probably has it off the top of her head. Oh, for sure she I'm does. Sure. It's in it's in the later half of July, if that helps. The back half of July. So after ChefConf. Oh yeah, for sure after Chef ChefConf. It was. Uh, 
I think it was the week after, you know, if I'm oh, he's looking it up, July 20th and 21st. <laughs> July 20th and 21st, you can catch Andy and Ross. Are we gonna have uh, are we gonna have as cool of t-shirts as we've had? Those have been like the best DevOps t-shirts I've I've ever gotten at any conference. Well, we have an in with just a fantastic artist, and actually this year's my favorite. So I Ooh. I'm set, I'm am setting the bar high for you, Ross. This wow. the, last year it was my favorite. I'm starting to wear it wear it out though. I'm bummed. I might have to go into uh, the DevOps Day Slack and uh, steal the logo design. Uh-oh, careful now. <laughs> it, it's, it's very very focused in Minneapolis, Ducey. Our goal every year, so Ducey helped us get that first one off the ground, get get some DevOps days going in the Midwest, and uh, ever since then, our goal has been to make a cool enough shirt to get Ducey back at our conference still. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> this year. <laughs> uh, after, after that, I you know, I'll probably do either ChefConf or Velocity. I'm, I'm actually planning to make a, potentially make a trip with one of my HR partners, which I think is really cool, getting her exposed to how this community works and what, what these transformations look like. And so I'm excited if that lines up where she can make one of those trips, I'll probably uh, make one, one as well. And the DevOps Enterprise Summit, I think Heather and I are planning to speak again. I thought, I think last, last year we said we were done because it's like, all right, how long can like, how long can you duo. milk it for? Yeah, the duo of right. two of us telling a story together. How long is it going to make sense? Which is why I'm hesitant to submit to DevOps Days Amsterdam, but they're like, submit, submit, submit. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and we, <laughs> yeah. When they, they did reach out, though, and ask, they're like, can you two come and present again? So we're, we're, we're thinking about what are we going to, what's going to be new and fresh for a story this year, and, and how do we tell the continuation? I think we've been kind of telling a journey, and I think people have really enjoyed enjoyed hearing it. So, so we're gonna figure out what, what we're gonna do this fall. That's probably the only conference plans I have this year at this point. Very cool. How about you? How about you, Andy? I've I've got a lot, a whole lot of maybes. So we have a we have our internal annual event that we call the Tech Jam next week, and so wrapping up wrapping up that next week, and then. June, people need to stop creating conferences in June. June is just crazy between MesosCon and DockerCon and Velocity and Monitorama. Like, stop with the June conferences. <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, I'm the the ones I'm the ones I'm tentative for would be the uh, platform event that uh, Pivotal puts on, and then Velocity New York, and then I'm looking at the DevOps Enterprise Summit too. Um, might submit a, a few talks to to a couple of those. And uh, see where that see where that ends up taking me. Very cool. cool. It's uh, definitely getting back into conference season, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be uh, I'll be in uh, California at the JFrog Swamp Up. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're actually sponsoring the happy hour there. So uh, come get some chef chef swag. We might have actually some there. I think. Uh, and then uh, I'll also be at ChefConf, of course, which is going to be happening in July, July 11th to the 13th in Austin. So we moved it out of San Francisco Bay Area this year, uh, trying a little, little bit something new. Austin would be fun. Yeah, it should be. Uh, although they got rid of Uber recently, so unless it's fixed by then, it's going to maybe suck. I don't know. <laughs> um, so... Andy, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter at AJDOMIE, AJ Domi. <clears throat> Domi A, right? Domi A. 
It stuck nice. with me. Everyone thinks I'm French. I should just go with it. It'd be easier. And Ross, <laughs> you? We? <laughs> oui. Actually, I, in high school, I, I, my French name was Wolfgang. <laughs> For French class. <laughs> uh, you can get a hold of me at, at Ross Clinton. At Wolfgang. Or at Wolfgang. At, at Wolfgang. <laughs> I got to check to see if that Twitter handle's open. <laughs> Take care of that for us, Andy. Get that reserved. I'm sure if you put Wolfgang Clanted, it's probably open. As always, you can get in touch with us at the show at GoatCan on Twitter. Uh, or on, if you still use that thing called the internet, uh, GoatCan.do or GoatCan.com. Uh, and I, uh, for myself, you can get a hold of me at MFDII on Twitter. So Andy, once again, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for telling your story. Uh, especially super interesting to get some new perspective on new technology uh, as well. Uh, and maybe geek out a little bit for a little while or as much as we possibly can at the middle management layer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's as technical as I get, guys. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me and thanks for telling these stories. They're really helpful for everybody and it's just, it's, it's a great way for the community to, to, to get a good resource that's consistent and gives everyone something to talk about and uh, converse with. So it's great. Keep it yeah. up, guys. Appreciate thanks. it. Thank you. And as always, remember, be the goat. Be the goat. Be the goat. <laughs>